Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live, and tonight it is my honor to have our special guest, writer, director, producer, Aaron Fjellman. Aaron, thank you for being here. How are you doing? Uh, John, thanks so much for having me, and uh, I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing good. Now, Aaron, like I said, is the writer, director, and producer of his movie that came out last year called Caged. It is currently available on Stars. If you're not a Star subscriber, little hint, hint, they do offer a seven-day free trial. I uh, highly recommend you guys try it out and watch Caged. Now, Caged deals with the issue of solitary confinement in America's prisons and the effect that it has on the human brain, the psyche, or the, the emotional toll that it inflicts. So, Aaron, what inspired you to tell this story? Um, <clears throat> well, uh, a personal friend of our family, when I was growing up, um, a guy who started working for my dad in his in his 40s, um, he became a, a good personal friend uh, of my father's. And he was he started working with my dad so late in life because he was getting out of prison. Um, he went to jail when he was 18 and ended up getting out uh, when he was 38. Wow. Um, and uh, he went in for buying stolen merchandise, wasn't a violent guy, ended up having to uh, defend himself against, uh, you know, people who were in gangs and, you know, who were threatening his manhood. And he ended up committing murder in jail and uh, really lost half of his life for it. And two of the years that he was in there of his 20 year stretch, he spent in solitary confinement. And I remember going to like baseball games in Los Angeles and sitting at Dodger Stadium and like having him tell me these weird stories that like, why are you telling me? I'm way too young <laughs> to be hearing this story. And this is so not appropriate. But but those stories, he, he was just a really colorful guy, a really, a really amazing man, actually. Um, and those stories stuck with me. So flash forward to, you know, me being an adult age filmmaker and, um, you know, our family lost Larry um, a couple years before I embarked upon this. And I guess it was in mourning his death that I started to think about the stories he told me when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So um, at that time, um, my business partner and I were pursuing another film. Uh, it was a completely different, it was a slasher horror film set in the world of heavy metal. Um, okay. Completely different side of my of, of what I was interested in. Um, and so it was on the high end of low budget. We were trying to do a $3 million movie in Canada with tax credits and whatnot. And for whatever reason, the, the cast and the financing never aligned at the same time. And we were always trying to, you know, everyone's saying like, we like you guys, we want to work with you, but this, you know, uh, this is a, a risky proposition for somebody who's an unproven entity in feature film. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure it's a story that a lot of filmmakers hear. Oh yeah. So, so we decided, well, let's, let's pivot. Um, and I was fully inspired. I mean, after three years of working on a movie that you haven't done, you're done with that movie, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, at least for the time being. And so I was really inspired about this movie that I felt came from my childhood, came from this family friend. And so um, 
I called up a friend of mine, um, James Doc Mason, who I co-wrote the movie with, mm -hmm. and we wrote Caged. And the and the script came together in like, I don't know, it was very quickly. I would say three to four, three to four months. Wow. Uh, and we had done some, we had already raised some money with the other project. So we went back to our investors and said, all right, guys, what do you think of this? We've got um, this new idea. It's a micro budget feature. Um, would you be interested in, you know, putting the money that you've put into this film and, and let us apply it to this new one, which costs a lot less money and everyone's a lot more likely to uh, see a return? Yeah. They said, yeah, we love this. We love the way it came. We love the, how it's personal to you. And um, we love that it's small. Um, and But they also like the fact that because of the psychological aspect, because of the psychological deterioration that occurs in solitary confinement, that the walls of the cell weren't going to necessarily limit where we could go with the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we set off to make Caged. And we, from, from the time that we pivoted to uh, production was literally five months. Nice. So on the, on the heels of waiting three years on this other project that was just, you know, slightly, I felt like we were slightly biting off more than we could chew. And you know what? That just goes to show you that what seems like a lost opportunity actually opens the door to something even far greater with Caged very true and what makes cage uh such a great film of course the story but you put together a really awesome cast in eddie uh melora angela Sarafin, who was just recently in a movie called the house on the bayou i don't know if you're aware of that yeah uh, to uh tony amendola who's sort of like a legend you know what i mean <laughs> absolutely so he's a legend uh so you wrote the film, you got the financing in place. Did you then move into casting the film? Yes. Um, we hired a, a casting director uh, by the name of Karina Walters. Um, she's awesome. She's fearless. She's young. Uh, she has great taste. And I, I feel like I have like a, a good knowledge of like up and coming actors in Hollywood from mm -hmm. like the, the indies that I like go out of my way to make myself aware of yeah and then i meet her and she's like oh uh she was in a commercial that aired in japan in you know 2016 uh i gotta beat this actress she's gonna be huge and she you know turns out to be somebody amazing uh so i was like in great hands yeah um and uh yeah so you know it's a tricky thing because we were trying to make a, a very small budget film um the really the for us it was all about uh drilling down on a lead and so we had uh we had some ideas we made some lists um and then karina actually suggested eddie to me and i was aware of him uh but not from blacklist which was kind of his like uh most yeah. robust like role at the time that's um, where, that's where i you know that's where i know him from and when i saw him in cage i was really excited yeah no i was uh it was so I saw him in, in X-Men in small stuff and he was at, had already done like Gone Baby Gone and mm -hmm. stuff like that. He, and then Twilight also. Uh, and um, so I, I, I watched his stuff from Blacklist and I was like, wow, this guy's real deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just, there's, he's done some stuff like 
you know, some other stuff that was like smaller, lower profile, like this movie called Pimp. Uh, and it was just like, he's just, uh, I, I have to say as, as a, his ability to modulate his performance, uh, and give you small, extremely subtle tweaks and variations upon a performance that he's doing, uh, is unlike any actor I've ever worked with before. His intensity, truly, truly talented. His intensity is on a whole other level when he's bringing it, and I think that's what makes it so special. Like in a part in the part of the movie where he's in solitaire and he's looking at himself in the mirror, and the mirror is reflecting back his like alter ego talking back to him, and how he was flipping back and forth. That just goes to show you the level of intensity he brings to his work. A hundred percent. I mean, and those moments were for the most part improvised. Uh, there were certain things, even we were producing, trying to produce certain elements, even while we were on set, mm -hmm. not knowing how exactly we were going to be able to afford or if we'd be able to afford or if we were going to have to change tact altogether and write new scenes. And um, the scenes in the mirror were uh, some of those new scenes. We basically repurposed some dialogue that were kind of like, um, it was it was somewhat of what, where we, we would get to like include some, some of like my message beats mm -hmm. about solitary uh, and, and to understand some of the statistical elements uh, and you know the the kind of the the world's perception of of solitary why someone might think it's useful who they might think would get targeted by this unfair form of punishment yeah. uh, culturally and whatnot uh, yeah so yeah no he was so for him I, I would just call out something like um, prison industrial complex <laughs> and then he he would just go off yeah you know. Uh, so it was uh, it was really it was really amazing to to see him be creative in that way, and you know literally uh, write moments in the script, uh, but then also you know to collaborate with him on on moments that were scripted, and to be able to really to really feel like you're, you're holding a dial. Yeah, and you and you could see what ten feels like. You could see what one feels like, and 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 land on a four, and just be like, wow, this is. Uh, you know, if you're working with someone who had less control, you wouldn't be able to do that. And no. I felt like having ha having that at my disposal really led to us because the movie so squarely rests on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know, it was essential to be able to to try to create an arc of him going from, you know, sane to insane. To insane. Now the dynamics yeah. between. Uh, his character is Dr. Harlow Reed. Uh, right. He's in jail for the murder of his wife. Uh, Correct. And while in solitaire, he meets, of course, the officer in charge of the solitary unit, Officer Sachs. Mm -hmm. uh, done beautifully by Melora. Uh, there was a moment between those two when she's transporting him in the elevator and she tells him how she got the scar on her face and yeah. one of her biggest regrets in life. Was that you trying uh, maybe to some degree to get the audience to sort of see her point of view and sympathize with her? 
Um, I guess it was my, yeah, it, to, to a certain degree. I mean, she was very much a villain, mm -hmm. you know, but I think it's important to know, to it, maybe not sympathize, but at least understand where she's coming from yeah. and to make her a human being. You, she has to have some something that we as an audience can understand and relate to and saying, well, I may, I may not agree with that, but at least that's like sound logic. Yeah. I could see how a person who is disfigured might think that way. Yeah. Because you got to keep in mind uh, that that's her job. At the end of the day, she goes home to if she has any family or whatever. And you have to assume she's not the same person at home that she is while she's in the jail. Now, the warden, Warden Perez, again, done brilliantly by Tony, he is the one uh, person. Wait, John, can you mind if I add something to that? Yeah, go ahead. The, 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 one, the one thing I thought was that was tricky about it is, is that the movie is entirely shot from Eddie's point of view. Mm -hmm. So the only way we could show to give the audience anything to sympathize on was from something that happened in Eddie's presence. Yeah. And, and, and we could never show her having coffee or doing any of these other things like what she did in the break room because the movie did not work if it wasn't from the point of view of the prisoner. Absolutely, absolutely. And the whole movie is told from his point of view. He's in, he's in every scene, uh, he even, is, yeah. even the flashbacks. Now, the warden is a good mm -hmm. guy. I mean, he's probably the only person in the prison who's on Dr. Reed's side and ultimately helps him. Uh, did you struggle with that idea with that character on how to, um, did you also want to make him a villain? Uh, did you struggle with making him uh, a voice of reason? Uh, which of, I mean, obviously you landed with the voice of reason, but did you struggle with that decision? Um, I, what, what, I'll, I'll say this, like I knew going into the movie that I, when you're, when you're making a film, a prison film you're in my in my mind you're competing with shawshank redemption yeah like like it's such a great film you know what i mean and we've seen that evil warden character mm -hmm. so i'm like what what is the what is the fresh take that i'm going to offer a prison film and to me i wanted to create a simulation of what it feels like to be in solitary confinement mm -hmm. how how spending time there will drive you insane, how spending more time will drive you even further. To create a, a sense of claustrophobia uh, and a sense of just audio, a, 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 a distortion of reality mm -hmm. that at times was uncomfortable to participate in. Uh, I thought that that was my goal with the movie, uh, a goal with the movie that, that kind of occurred in post. Okay. And I thought that this is something that I can make. This is something unique that I can bring to the genre. Yeah. And the movie shows how Dr. Reed uh, is losing his mind from a variety of different points of view. First, you have the hallucinations, uh, the wall. He's talking to a prisoner that is supposedly in the next cell that's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like I, we talked about the uh, reflections in the mirror and you see this slow progression into insanity uh, because of his time in solitary confinement. Now, if we jump to the end of the film, 
Um, mm -hmm. I want to say this without spoiling it, but uh, I guess the best way to do that is the very end of the film before the credits roll. Is that reality or is that a hallucination? I, I'll never tell. <laughs> so you're, um, you're totally leaving it up to the viewers. Own I, I am. I am. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've heard, I've heard both. Uh, I've heard people uh, react extremely strongly in both directions. Um, and there are certain people who are convinced that, oh no, he's, he's dead, you know? Um, and then there's other people who are, uh, you know, who I, I think it's like, depends on like, are you a pessimistic person by nature? Are you an optimist? Optimists tend to like to think that he got out yeah, and that he's, uh, uh, you know, forever changed by the situation, but, but that he's, he's still alive and he's, he's out. Um, pessimists think that may, you know, he's either dead or completely in solitary. Lost yeah, yeah, completely lost all touch with reality. Now, uh, Angela, she plays his wife in flashback scenes. Mm -hmm. And we get to see uh, different versions that we as the audience have to come to our own conclusion on what really happened. We see two alternate stories. Uh, one of him where he's not the killer and it was an accident that he got blamed for as a murder. And then we see him as he's slipping into insanity, uh, a side visualized on the screen of him actually killing her. And again, we're left as viewers, and I love this about filmmaking, leaving it up to the audience to let them come to their own conclusion. Was that your uh, take? That's what you wanted to do in regards yeah. to the wife? Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, because you don't get to know Angela unless you're getting to know her through Eddie's point of view, mm -hmm. because it's Eddie's imagination that's conjuring those images. Then Eddie's mental state at, at any given time when he's imagining that would influence what that imagery would be, you know? And then there's a moment, we're building to a moment where he has to bow down to Officer Sachs. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the question becomes, is he admitting to a crime that he's actually committed or is he saying, or is solitary so bad he's willing to take the rap for a crime and forego his appeal in order to get out? And that's why the warden is really pushing him to sign that confession. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's just fascinating. Uh, now, you know, Officer. And I think I, I think like you know like as you be, as you spend time in these in this institution as you spend time in this single room, like you're becoming uh, a more violent man. And I think like there's something very interesting about like if you actually were in jail, would it be easier to accept that you are guilty and that being there is a just thing? Rather, or would the idea that you don't belong there drive you even more insane? Exactly. And I, I forgot about this part. Uh, during his appeal process, his lawyer dumps him, basically, uh, who is supposedly his friend from way back in middle school, because he has no more money left to pay the lawyers. And I'm mm. like, damn, that's really messed up. So he's left having to work his appeal by himself, 
And of yeah. course, he needs, you know, basic writing utensils, which of course, Officer Sachs makes it a living hell for him to get that. But he perseveres, you know, he ends up cutting himself and even writing his appeal in blood. And it just goes to show all the extreme measures that people are forced to. And also the the underhandedness of the prison system, not only regard to solitary confinement, but the warden uh, just looking for a confession. And he's like, all you got to do is sign this piece of paper and you'll get out of solitary confinement. And man, he he's, he's there. He's got the pen in hand, ready to sign because it is so horrible. But when he puts the pen down and says, no, I did not do it. As an audience member, you stand up and you cheer for him because, yeah, he's willing to continue a life in living hell, but he's not going to admit to a crime he did not commit. And I thought yeah. that was beautifully, beautifully told. Now, were you a part of... Did you cut this film Sorry, yourself? You... Sorry about that. Did you cut uh, this film yourself? I did. Uh, I... I... I co-edited the movie. I started off working with an editor. And again, because of uh, us being a, a micro budget movie, um, I felt like the movie needed more editing after our budget was up to work with the, the editor we had on board. And so I just kept going for all, for quite a while. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, the final product, I, uh, I, I, I would have put the budget indefinitely in the seven figure range not the low micro budget that you're that you're mentioning. Uh, so when did stars get involved? Well, uh, stars was we we basically we distributed uh, on uh, VOD through Shout Factory, mm -hmm. and then um, they continued. Uh, you know, for for North America, they they brought in stars. And so uh, we're available on Stars. We're available on on Hulu Premium. We're on Amazon. I mean, obviously Amazon Prime mm -hmm. Video and Apple TV Plus as a rental, when not uh, through Spectrum TV for free if you have the Star subscription. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they came on. You know, we we uh, we finished product. We finished post production in December of 2019. We were scheduled to be play at our first film festival in March of 2020. And then COVID like, hit. Yeah, I mean, it literally hit on the weekend of our premiere. Jeez. Like where like I in good conscience was like telling friends and family members, especially like older family members, like I know you I, I I'm so flattered and honored by the fact that you want to come to the premiere of this, but please don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had probably still 50 diehard people uh, who were just close friends, family, uh, and the the insanely talented crew members uh, who I worked with. And they wanted, wanted to, to come out and support you, you know? And they wanted to, yeah. And, and you know, and, and, and showcase and, and, and proudly showcase some of their handiwork as well. I mean, you know, yeah. like my DP, my, my DP was extremely proud of the film and, you know, uh, sound designers, uh, uh, film players. The so composer now, did our musical score. So now that it's been, uh, you said March 21, uh, sorry, 2020. Now that it's been almost two years, uh, how, uh, what kind of reaction are you getting from Hollywood right now? Now that you have caged out, they see what you can do. 
Has anything changed? Have you gotten a lot more stuff that you're working on at the current moment? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, uh, because of the pandemic, um, I, I think people ever after having spent so much time quarantined in their house, mm -hmm. they understood the effects of solitary confinement, yeah. uh, a little bit more. Um, but to be honest, you know, the, we didn't have a huge, um, we didn't have a huge marketing budget so it it, it, it it's been slowly building uh but it was i i just got um some data in the month of november we were in the top 10 films on stars nice um which was amazing and totally unexpected and um you know i think like uh eddie's built a loyal fan base mm -hmm. of people who want to watch anything he's a part of mm -hmm. And, you know, then when they did, they, they enjoyed it and they told a friend, um, word of mouth. So, yeah, word of mouth has been, it's been really awesome. Uh, and something I, I just wasn't expecting, but I was hoping for, uh, since then, you know, um, I definitely say that I, I feel like after having made my first film that, uh, there's a lot of doors opening. Awesome. Um, yeah, which it's just a good thing. And, uh, I, I recently just optioned uh, a script that I didn't write, um, which is for me to want to do something that I, I, I didn't personally write. It, it was because I came across something that I felt like it was a real diamond in the rough um, and is completely bonkers. Uh, it's a horror comedy, uh, which cool. is, you know, not what Cage was. No, um, even though it but, did have some horror type elements, there were moments there that you're questioning if this is paranormal or not. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I definitely consider it like psychological horror. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but not comedic. No. Um, <laughs> so uh, but this new one is 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 completely batshit crazy. Um, and I think that'll be the next thing I do. Um, we're in the, the financing stages right now. Awesome. Are you? Um, do you consider yourself to be a big horror fan? Oh uh, yeah, it's my genre. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. Uh, Aaron, you made a great movie. I mean, I, I loved it. I'm so glad I met you and you. I heard of Cage through you, and I watched <laughs> it and I loved it. It's a great film. Our audience should definitely go check it out. It's available if you're part of the Star Streaming Package. You can get Stars on. Amazon Prime on Hulu and whatnot, like Aaron said. Uh, going for, just one last question. Going forward, uh, does your passion lie more with writing or directing? Um, both. Um, I, I I wouldn't exclude like 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 I just mentioned. Like I wouldn't exclude the opportunity to direct something that I didn't write, only if I feel like it's something I wouldn't write. Mm -hmm. um, and then this, this, the, I'm currently writing something which is kind of more, kind of in line with what Cage is. Okay. It's a, I, I would say it's like a uh, Clockwork Orange meets Lawnmower Man. Okay, that's interesting. That definitely yeah. sounds interesting. We'll be definitely yeah. on the lookout for that one. Aaron, yeah. thank you so much uh, for coming on here and sharing your thoughts behind Cage. Again, guys, watch it if you haven't. I want to thank our entire audience who tuned in live and those who will be watching this later on. 
Uh, the movie, again, is called Caged, available on Stars. Thank you to the writer, director, producer, Aaron Fjellman, who, come in, who came on here and shared uh, the story behind the inspiration for the film. Any final thoughts you want to share before we go? Um, just, you know, that me and my entire team uh, are really grateful to uh, be on here, and thanks so much for showing us the love to uh, help get the word out. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anyway, guys, stay safe. On behalf of Aaron and myself, stay walking. Bye-bye. Better job. Thanks.